Hello and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, there is coverage of Sing Global, a virtual conference presented by Keith and Kristen Getty and Getty Music. One of the presenters is Jonathan Ray, who directs New Irish Arts and has served as choir director for the Sing Conference. You'll be hearing his comments about the importance of singing and gain insight into what his organization does. Then it's another Sing Global presenter, violinist David Kim of the Philadelphia Orchestra, who shares about his love for music and how he uses his musical talents to glorify God. Next, you'll meet Jason Sautel, a firefighter for many years, who is devoted to sharing how God has worked in his life as he met the Lord in a profound way and offers hope to those who need to know the saving power of Christ. And on this edition of The Intersection, it's Nicole Weeder, founder of Project Inspired, who's become involved in filmmaking. In her latest effort, the main characters, who are from different sets of life experiences, actually switch places and learn more about how it would be to live the life of another. Also, some relevant comments are ahead from Harold Sankbile, who shares about the presence of the Lord in the midst of difficult situations and provides words of hope and comfort. Finally, from First Liberty Institute, Lathan Watts discusses some of the principles upon which our nation was founded and underscores the convictions of the founders regarding the concept of religious liberty. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Jonathan Ray is director of the choir program for the Getty Music Scene Conference. In a recent conversation, he discussed how Sing Global going virtual affected his work this year, how the conference enhances the practice of singing and worshiping God, and the overall work of New Irish Arts, the organization he directs. Here now from that conversation is Jonathan Ray. Well, one of the wonderful things about the Sing Conference is that it's not just for singers. Hmm. Um, it's for pastors, leaders, and musicians. And I, th- I think an awful lot of the issues that happen in local church music ministry happen because of poor communication uh, between church leadership and music leadership. And I think one of the wonderful things about this is that it's bringing those two groups specifically together, uh, where you've got church leaders meeting together with musicians in one place for rigorous Bible teaching, um, which is really helping people to think biblically about why we sing and, 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 and the motivation uh, for singing as congregations in particular, and giving people a fresh vision of, of what, what the Bible teaches about it. I mean, this year's conference obviously is is themed around the idea of singing the scripture. And the whole idea at this time is that we are focusing very much on, on what the Bible says about singing, but also what the Bible says about God and our response in singing to that. Um, so the whole idea of singing the word of God and, and, and the whole idea of the word dwelling richly in people's lives is, is at the very heart of, of, of what the message of the conference is. So um, I think if people are inspired by the Bible, they can't fail to be inspired to sing. Um, the other thing about it, I guess, is that there's, there's, there's different facets to it because the Gettys have put a lot, of infer- a lot of energy into trying to create a culture uh, where people consider their singing as individuals, as families, as church communities, and as part of a global singing church. And I think, I think this conference will address all of those in different ways, as, as all the other sing conferences have done. Uh, so the whole idea is not just that I sing, you know, when I'm with my congregation on a Sunday, or even just that I sing when I'm with my family in informal family worship, or, or even that I sing on my own. It's, it's all of the above, plus that sense of a growing global community of people who are singing. 
Jonathan Ray is joining us today here on The Meeting House on Faith Radio. Our coverage of Sing Global, this year's Getty Music Worship Conference. Thousands learning and singing this week, and our coverage is continuing today. Jonathan Ray, he is the director of New Irish Arts. He leads the choir program at the Sing Conference. And so, Jonathan, let's talk about New Irish Arts. I understand that this is an effort that has Keith Getty's fingerprints upon it. This is something he has founded. Tell me about how you have intersected with New Irish Arts and what it's intended to do. Okay, so um, when Keith and I, Keith and I are the same age, um, and when we were both students, um, he started this wonderful organization called New Irish Arts, which was designed uh, to be an artistic presence in the church and also a Christian presence in the scene of the arts here in Ireland. Um, so they created they, they created a choir and orchestra. Um, I was I was a little bit behind Keith in joining it because he was the founder. I, I joined within the first year. Um, and was was singing in the choir and and playing piano for a while and then um, as things as things moved on with Keith's wider ministry as he started to write and and think a bit more about possibly moving to the United States um, I was left here in Ireland and I had by that stage become interested we, we do we do around 25 events per year usually in a normal year <laughs> this year obviously is not normal um, but but in a normal year we would have a busy program of events which are designed and to share the gospel build up the church and resource the church as well. So we, we provide music for Christian conferences. We provide um, our own events sometimes where we, we create concerts in public concert halls where people can come along and hear the gospel. Um, we, we provide concerts to encourage churches to sing uh, as worship events. So it's, it's a fairly multifaceted thing. And we also have a, a whole youth department as well uh, with, with young people coming through. That's been our biggest growth area in the last number of years, uh, young people singing in choirs as, as a way of investing in them and investing in the church of the future. Um, so I, I am privileged to lead that organization. I come at that as a, as a, a person whose who's expertise is in music. Um, my friendship with Keith means that um, we, we became friends and, and we simply worked together when we were in our early 20s and we're not in our early 20s anymore. Um, so now as middle-aged guys, he's found his thing um, through the Sing Conference and the whole ministry of Getty Music and the Modern Hymns. And I, I am sitting here just blessed ever to have been part of that experiment that started way back in the late 1990s um, just to be able to to shape my life around the, the, the local demands of that wonderful ministry and all the potential that it has for um, blessing the church and inspiring people and, and also building a network of, of believers who are like-minded and who, who really care about their about their music and, and who are gifted in it and so it's, just, it's, a, it's a wonderfully privileged thing to be able oh, wow. to do as, as a way of serving the Lord. Jonathan Ray here on The Intersection. You can learn more about New Irish Arts by going to newirisharts.com. The Sing website is gettymusicworshipconference.com. Well, as part of my coverage of Sing Global, the Getty Music Worship Conference, a virtual event at 2020, another of the presenters, David Kim, shared about his Christian faith, his approach to music, and his involvement with the ministry of Keith and Kristen Getty. He is the concert master of the Philadelphia Orchestra. Here now from a recent conversation is David Kim. Well, Keith uh, Getty is classically trained, and um, he's always had this desire to... Uh, raise the profile and quality of the music just all across all genres with everything that the Gettys do. And so 
Um, I guess in the classical music world, uh, I mean, it's not unusual, but if you're a prominent musician in the classical music world and you're a Christian, I guess word gets out. And so a friend of mine recommended to Keith that he contact me. And when they came on tour to Philadelphia um, several years ago, he asked me for breakfast. And um, with Keith, he wants to to be, I don't know if he wants me divulging this, but he really wants people to walk the walk and talk the talk as a believer, as a mm-hmm. Christ follower. And yes. so he wanted to have breakfast and just talk and maybe see if I maybe really believed or was sincere. And from that moment on, I started touring with them. I've played with them at the Grand Old Opry and many times, Carnegie Hall many times, uh, tours around the United States, uh, recordings, the sing conference many times and we've become dear friends and um the gettys have become truly spiritual mentors to me as well and an inspiration to me uh, as i navigate this world of classical music as a christ follower well that that sets up my next question very well elaborate Mm -hmm. just a bit about how your faith in christ really informs the way that you perform music or how is your music an extension of your faith well i you know i started playing at the age of three i was at juilliard starting at the age 10 all the way through master's degree and you know i've just had the most incredible training um through my entire life and then incredible experiences around the globe uh and yet there is this kind of constant battle going on within my soul of stage fright, insecurity, pride, all these uh, human qualities that infiltrate my music making, even though I try not to be. And, um, you know, being a Christian, um, you would think that I would be able to rest in that peace, but no, it's just too difficult. And so, there are times I'm paralyzed with stage fright and um, it's at those moments that the only thing I can do is just pray to God and just say, God, I can't do this. I am absolutely paralyzed with fear. I can't walk on that stage. I can't do it. You do it for me. And, uh, or like um, in chariots of fire um, when they were running and he said, Oh, I run and I know God feels the pleasure of me when I run well, he was a runner. And uh, same thing with me. I know that God created all these beautiful things. And I know he get takes derives great pleasure from the music, from the composers, from the performers, uh, from the audience who are blessed by it. And so all these things, I just kind of lift up and I say, God, I, you know, I, I just play for your glory, not my glory, not for anybody else's glory. I'm playing for your glory. And Sometimes it works and sometimes I feel this kind of peace come over me and I play better or whatever, but sometimes it doesn't. But I know it's all part of his grand plan and his timing. And I just try to um, just kind of rest in that as I go through life and as I change, as as we all change and age, you know, I'm like an athlete. Uh, things change. Eyesight, um, um, the nerves. Uh, reflexes, just physical uh, ability, it all changes. Like almost, I have to almost relearn how to play the violin almost every day. And uh, as I age, I'm now in my 50s. And uh, yeah, so 
there's no other way for me to accomplish it and to occupy this incredibly high pressure, high profile position other than to truly surrender it all to God. David Kim here on The Intersection. His website address is davidkimviolin.com. The Getty's website is Getty, G-E-T-T-Y, music.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's former firefighter Jason Sautel. He discussed with me his story of having been spiritually rescued by Christ, which is detailed in his book, The Rescuer, One Firefighter's Story of Courage, Darkness, and the Relentless Love that Saved Him. This is Jason Sautel now. It was a period of my life where I, people were starting to talk to me about Jesus, and I was starting to, to learn about the Christ, but I, I still had so much anger and, and frustration going on. And what I say is the world is so, so loud that it drowned out so much of, of the messages that I know God wanted me to hear as he was calling me to his son. So in this particular fire, the fire was actually in the basement, and we were in the 20-story building, and we were in there fighting fire. Well, I went in alone without a hose line because I wanted to see where the fire was because we were having trouble finding it. And I didn't realize that we were in a photo processing plant or photo processing shop. Mm-hmm. And as I was in there in the, the heat and the smoke and in zero visibility conditions, I ended up knocking over a couple of containers as I was working my way to the fire. Well, once I found where the fire was, I was going to go back to the front door and have the guys bring a hose line in, and we started attacking the fire. Well, that plan suddenly changed when between the front door and where I was lit up into just a wall of flames that I couldn't make it through. And as I was laying there, I thought to myself, this is not good. This, this is worst-case scenario. Hmm. I honestly thought I might die right there. And I had maybe about 45 seconds to a minute of trying to escape, and I just curled up into a ball and was going over my my situation. I thought, well, this is it. And praise God, the hose line with the crew came in and was able to knock down the fire, and they got me out. So looking back on the situation, yes, I definitely could have died right there if the guys didn't come in and get me. But when I found out that I kicked over the chemicals and what caused the fire and, and what made it advance towards me, it shook me to my core because I just realized that if I would have died, it wouldn't have turned out good for my eternity. And and just shortly before that is when I started going to church and I heard the gospel message. And it was kind of like it all just started coming together right there of what I was told in church, what people had been telling me, and then almost dying alone without a, my faith. I, it was a life changer, that's for sure. I wanted you to to just give an overview, if you would. You worked in Oakland, California. It has the reputation, as I understand it, of being one of the toughest firehouses in the nation. Now, having your your life changed by the presence of Christ within your heart, working on what was going on on the inside, how did that affect how you related to people and situations on the outside? What I tell people is the moment that I came to Christ, it wasn't the law moment. I didn't feel just like the Holy Spirit and joy and the light come upon me. But what I did feel like is I came out of the darkness because it brought me clarity. I never understood why I was going to so many shootings, 
so much death, so much destruction. I never really understood sin. Obviously, even though I wasn't a Christian, I heard the word sin, but it never made sense to me. But once I came to Christ, it's like a light clicked on. And everything that I thought in this book that I used to call the silly book of lies prior to coming to Christ, which obviously isn't, it is God's infallible word, our Holy Bible, it became truth. And I started to realize everything I'm reading here makes sense out in the real world. This is why it's so messed up. When I'm working in an impoverished neighborhood, I can see why, why there's certain sins that would manifest in that area and, and why the shooting would happen and why... why fires would happen, and more importantly, just instead of clarity, what it really brought me was it wasn't my fault, because a lot of times when I couldn't fix things, even though I worked and worked and worked, I put the blame on myself, because the world would tell me, Jason, you can accomplish anything you want if you put your heart to it. Well, I put my heart to saving a lot of lives in bad situations, and people didn't live and they died. And I took that guilt upon me, like, well, obviously I didn't work hard enough. Then the Bible explained to me what God's will was. Obviously, we got to work, we got to do stuff. But at the end of the day, God's will is going to be God's will, and I can't change that. And coming to Christ and being a firefighter as a Christian, it all made sense to me. Jason Sautel here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the website rescuerbook.com. This is the Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You will find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. You can also find the podcast in the Media Center. It's also available through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. Those are linked to the Meeting House homepage. Plus, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content, including recently added content from the Christian Product Expo Fall 2020 show in Wilmington, Delaware, as well as coverage of the Getty Music Sing Global Conference. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Next on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, the founder of Project Inspired, Nicole Weeder. She has an audience of young ladies. She discussed how she became a filmmaker and highlighted her most recent film, of which she is executive producer and actor. It's called Switched, which deals with topics of bullying and image. Here now from that recent Meeting House conversation is Nicole Weeder. I met the other producer at a women's Bible study, and we really connected as friends. And then I read the script, switched, and it had it just it had a great message of something that I was already encouraging young women about, and it was already my mission because I was I was you know I created Project Inspired, and the movie switched. It deals with you know high schoolers and what it's like to you know, be bullied online and it's culturally relevant. And I just, I loved the script and I was like, how can I help, you know, make this happen? And so I also, um, 
I knew when I read it that um, there was a role that I could totally play. And I play a magazine editor in the movie. Um, I play, she, you know, she has this company called Glam Slam. And the popular girl wants to be on the cover of the magazine. And I only care about the numbers of her, you know, her likes and her, um, you know, just her, her online popularity. So my character is just, you know, I'm searching for purpose. Um, but I play sort of a supporting role. Um, but it just, it's a fun movie because the two young women, they end up switching bodies because the girl prays to God that Katie Sharp would know what it's like to walk a day in her shoes. And then they wake up in the morning and they're like, ah, and then the popular girl sees what it's like to be bullied. And the sweet girl who is bullied sees what it's like to have you know, kind of an empty home life um, that the popular girl had. And, you know, her two parents are, they only care about her as a brand and they only care about her popularity. And so, you know, the movie comes full circle and they realize that, you know, you never know what someone is going through. And it talks about leading with love and kindness and anti-bullying, but also it's a fun movie. And, there's, you know, it's it's a Christian faith based movie, but it's it's great for the whole family as well as being fun for young people. All right, so you've got the two characters, the two teenagers, Katie Sharp. So Katie is the popular one. Then Cassandra is the uh, less popular girl. We'll just put it that way. And she had been experiencing yep. bullying in her life, and so basically they switched. So what did they discover? Without giving too much away, what did they discover? They discovered many things about each other. Um, the popular girl discovers what it's like to be bullied because she sees what it's like to be on the other side of things. And the sweet girl who is bullied sees what it's like to be the popular girl and how her friends are very empty and they're mean, they're catty girls. And she sees what it's like to have parents who don't really care about her. They only care about her as a brand. And mm. so they see they see what it's like to be the other person. Nicole Weeder joining us today here on The Meeting House on Faith Radio. She is involved with this film, Switched. She is also the founder of Project Inspired. So let's talk about your real-life ministry with Project Inspired. And as you had mentioned earlier, you've interact with young ladies who are experiencing bullying, whether it be in person or what is called cyberbullying. That is also a thread in this movie called Switched. So from from a standpoint of someone who ministers to a number of young ladies and communicates from those who are experiencing this, what do you believe is important to to know and recognize about bullying and and the effect that it has? I have to say bullying, when, when someone is bullying, a lot of times a young person won't share because they might feel ashamed or they might even think it's their fault. Um, and so especially as parents, it's important to communicate with young people and to just listen and to... Um, listen to what your kid is saying because oftentimes if you just listen they will open up and you know also one thing about the movie is the mom is very involved in her daughter's life the one who's bullied and they go um 
roller skating with each other in one scene and they just talk and they're very communicative with each other. And so it's just important to really connect with your child and to, um, you know, just ask, ask them without judging, like what they're going through, because often kids, they just want someone to talk to, um, you know, so yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of good messages in, in Switch. Nicole Weeder here on The Intersection. You can learn more about the film at switchedmovie.com. The Project Inspired site is projectinspired.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's the author of the book, Christ and Calamity, Grace and Gratitude in the Darkest Valley, Harold Sankbile, offering words of comfort and insight in light of the trials of life. Here now from that recent conversation is Harold Sankbile. No one wants to be a whiner. And uh, so we kind of see these uh, laments, as you, as it were, as a form of whining. But but God doesn't see that it that way at all. I mean, I think most of us who've had children uh, remember when our when our little ones uh, are injured and they crawl up on our lap. We delight in hearing exactly where it hurts, and uh, we don't consider that whining at all. <clears throat> um, or we have a medical doctor. And um, uh, that person wants to hear about our ailments and an accurate description of them, and part of that is the pain that might be involved. And that's not whining. That's that's a complaint, but it's not whining. It's um, bringing, bringing the problem out to the open so that it can be addressed. And uh, that's exactly what God invites us to do. I mean, Jesus on the cross did the same thing. Uh, he prayed Psalm 22, My God, my God, why? Have you abandoned me? And uh, <clears throat> we would be quick to say, "Well, God didn't really abandon him. He was, he, he had sent him for the express purpose so that he could be the sacrifice for sin." Um, but in point of fact, at that moment, he was isolated and all alone, and cried out in the words of the psalmist, "Why have you abandoned me?" Uh, That's a prayer of faith. And the psalm, of course, ends with a, with an expression of confidence in God's deliverance. But it begins with an honest uh, cry of pain. And I think that's a thing we need to do as Christians, to be honest before God and to be uh, totally transparent with him about the nature of our pain. What assurance can you share with people to really help them recognize that, indeed, God is not unacquainted with suffering. I mean, we can look at Jesus on the cross. We recognize there's a purpose in our suffering. But nevertheless, as you had mentioned earlier, some people in these difficult times can feel that God is very far away. What words of reassurance could you give to people to know that God really is there with them? Well, I think that's exactly it. Um, Just as he was with our Lord Jesus in the midst of his suffering, that is our assurance that he will not abandon us because Christ um, sensed that he was abandoned on the cross. We will never be. Um, And um, in point of fact, it's in the moment of our greatest weakness, as you pointed out, that St. Paul found his greatest confidence because um, the answer to his earnest, diligent, sincere petition and prayer that this thorn in the flesh, this physical suffering would be removed from him, the answer was, no, this is what you need, because you learn that when you are weak, then you are strong. Uh, To find our strength 
in God and not in ourselves is a great blessing. Sometimes that we have to learn that lesson in a very hard way. Um, but we uh, always look to Jesus, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured um, the cross, scorning its shame, and now is seated at the right hand of God. So it's always in the light of Jesus' uh, cross, his suffering and death, and his glorious resurrection, and then his ascension to the Father's right hand, that we um, go through our own um, periods of loss, reversal, and hardship. And um, so we know that this will not last forever. The the Bible also says, uh, I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing to the glories that will be revealed uh, um, in eternity. And um, so that also is encouragement. It's not just to say, well, there's a pie in the sky by and by, but in the the present moment uh, we find our strength in Christ because we are forced to turn to him in this moment of weakness. And in that sense, um, the person who is undergoing that suffering um, becomes a a witness and a sign and a testimony of encouragement to fellow Christians as well. It's another reason why we need to uh, remain in contact with one another and um, share our burdens uh, with fellow Christians because then we are not doing it alone. And we know that um, burdens that are divided up become lighter, and also joys that are shared uh, are multiplied. And that's uh, the wonderful thing about Christian fellowship. Harold Sankbile here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the publisher's website. It's Lexham, L-E-X-H-A-M, press.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Lathan Watts, Director of Public Affairs for First Liberty Institute, In our recent conversation, he discussed the founder's view of religious liberty and talked about current threats to the constitutional viewpoint of it. Here now is Lathan Watts. I saw um, part of the interview that Attorney General Barr did with um, uh, Mark Levin, and I was really struck by uh, the fact that he spoke about um, the fact that we have gotten away from the concept of objective truth, and he was talking about it in the uh, in the arena of media, and he was talking about the danger of of using the word narrative, and that once the media, once that uh, once that word became sort of popular, that he he said you know he thought that was that we were on the wrong path because a narrative is basically a story, and that it it omits the uh, the concept of objective truth, which is what you want news to be about, and he said. He was making the point that if if it's narrative, if it's just your story versus my story, and there's no objective truth to it, that that's a dangerous thing in media. And I thought, you know, it's been a long time since I'd heard anybody in elected office or or in government period to talk about the the importance of the concept of truth and that it is objective and it's not relative. And so I just sort of that. That was striking to me, and so I, I took that and just sort of expanded upon it that he's right about um, that concept in media, but it's actually a much larger problem in the culture, this abandonment of the idea 
of truth and uh, of, of absolutes, moral absolutes, um, in our culture in general. From your research and your knowledge of this overall topic with respect to the foundation of our nation, how did the founders, as you see it, really integrate this concept of absolute truth, truth that is rooted in God's Word into the founding of this nation and the writing of the Constitution? Well, I think one of the first things that comes to mind as you look at the, the words that Jefferson used in the Declaration of Independence, he didn't call um, our equality coming from our common creator and our our rights coming from our creator, you know, among those, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He didn't call these things opinions or um, he, he said these are self-evident truths. He assumes in that document that people accept the fact that there is such a thing as truth um, and that what he is laying out is truth. Um you know, later in the document, he, he in introducing all of the um, offenses of King George, he said, "We we submit these facts to a candid world." Um, well, you can't have facts if you don't have truth. You know, he didn't say these are differences of opinion between the colonies and our sovereign. He said these are facts. These abuses have um, uh, amount to uh, instituting tyranny over us. So. What, what the founders did then later in the Constitution with uh, the First Amendment and the, the very first right that they sought to protect with that Constitution was the right of religious freedom. And I believe they did so because religion and the role of religion in a civil society, it points men to God, who is the source of truth, who is the source of uh, the objective source of morality. And it places that source and that authority above government. Um, you know, he, what is revolutionary, pardon the pun, about our founding is that it, it instituted government for the purpose of protecting our rights that come from God. And that's, that is the, you know, the role of government is to protect those rights. And that's the proper role of religion in a free society is to point people to that objective source of truth and that objective source of morality because the founders knew you cannot have freedom without morality. That with if, if everyone is just free to do what's right in the sight of his own eyes and there's no objective standard to measure what is good or what is evil, then the strong will inevitably oppress the weak. Or it, there will be such chaos that people will call for, we need a strong leader to come in and fix everything. That's the difference between the American Revolution and the Revolution in France. The, the revolution in France turned on itself, became chaotic, and they call, the people called out, we need a strong leader to come in and settle all this, and you end up with Napoleon, and you're right back to you know, a, a monarch, which is what the revolution started to get rid of. So that's the genius of our founding, is uh, protecting the proper role of religion in a free society and recognizing that uh, religion uh, in general is what points men towards an objective standard of morality that is necessary to remain free. Lathan Watts here on The Intersection. First Liberty's website is first, spell it out, liberty.org. Well, this has been The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the Faith Radio website. In the programming section, you can click on the Meeting House homepage link. 
You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. There's a link to the podcast from the homepage. It will take you to the Media Center. You can also subscribe to the Intersection via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House, and the other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content, including some recently added content for you. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.